Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. ourselves, but we're wearing it for our grandparents, the little kids in our families, everybody in the fam- and our families that we can't protect, okay? So my school, we had our walkout and 11 a.m., you know, we left class, we rallied at the front of the school, people had brought signs, we had a mic set. and I, I don't... That's Sophia Alexanian. She's a 16-year-old high school student from Scarborough in Toronto. She co-founded a group called Ontario Students for COVID Safety. I know usually at rallies, you know, you assign people to lead chants. You know, we were students, we didn't know. Um, But it seemed to just organically happen that people were excited to just step up and lead the group in a few chants. Sophia's describing the walkout she helped organize to protest the end of the mask mandate in schools. It took place on March 21st, and more than 50 schools across Ontario registered for it. Today, we'll hear directly from Sophia about how high school was derailed by COVID and why she thinks masks and other health measures are the key to keeping students in the classroom. Then we'll talk to The Globe's education reporter, Caroline Alfonso. She'll give us the bigger picture on how removing mask mandates is playing out in schools across the country. This is The Decibel. If I can take you back to before the pandemic, way, way back when, what was your high school experience like? I mean, I was a I was a big theater kid. I was involved in like three separate plays in grade nine, which was the year before the pandemic. So I had a lot of play rehearsals after school. Um, I was really involved in Model UN. At one point, I was helping my friends run a small like debating nonprofit. We were giving debating lessons to kids who would not normally access them. So I did a lot of public speaking and debate through that. I was somewhat involved in athletics. I was on the school cross country team and I played hockey. So quite a lot of things outside of classes. Wow. Yeah. And so then in in March 2020, as you said, you were in the middle of grade nine when the pandemic struck. March break was extended, then school went virtual. How did it feel when you realized that that you weren't going back to school that year? It was a really anxious time for me, even though I was trying to stay away from the news, trying to stay away from the numbers, trying to just focus on my individual life. Like in my day to day life, the, the lack of structure really made a difference because I usually thrived off of having a very structured life, having a very scheduled life. And without that, I, w- I was just not functioning. So take me back to when you did finally get to return to high school this year. You're in grade 11 now, so a bit of a difference from grade 9 when you were last physically in school. You're more than halfway through high school at this point. How did you feel those those first few days back in the building? I, I really didn't know much of the teachers outside of the teachers I had the first semester of grade 9. I knew nothing about like the big school time events that happened in the spring. So it felt like I was in grade 9 again, like I was just relearning. So it kind of took me off of the pedestal that supposedly you're supposed to be on as you as you're older in high school. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit more about what that experience was like to get me back in the classroom, uh, the situation with your teachers, like what's kind of going on there in terms of like what you would expect from a normal school experience and, and what you actually got? Yeah, so my school was very lucky. We didn't have a lot of cases until the Omicron surge. 
And then that's when just things went crazy. Uh, I believe in starting mid-January, what was happening was teachers, either they themselves would get sick or their kids would get sick at their own schools. And then they would be away for a week, two weeks, because it is it is a lengthy illness, right? And in that time, it was a massive staffing shortage. There weren't enough supply teachers to come in and take that job for a week, two weeks to provide consistent lesson plans. So what was happening is different school boards across Ontario dealt with it in different ways. Some brought in administrators to fill the role. Uh, some were hiring uncertified supply teachers. At my school, we were having on-call teachers, so teachers who were on their prep uh, would come in, stay for half the class, and then switch out with another teacher who was on their prep. So we didn't even have the same teacher for one solid period. So it was a very inconsistent time. It was a time we couldn't really follow a lesson plan. And I honestly feel like I had a couple of classes where I had those one, two-week absences. It, it is a learning disruption. It's a genuine gap. So, What did you do in order to to voice your concerns over the struggles that you were facing in the classroom there? So I got together a group of us in the Toronto area and a group of us in the Ottawa area. And we decided that uh, we should try to organize students into some sort of action. And we were inspired by Manitoba students in Manitoba, who actually they were similar to us set to return on January 17th to an unsafe school environment. And they were staging a walkout. They were outright refusing to learn in that dangerous environment. So we were inspired by them, but the problem was is when we were consulting with our peers one-on-one, -on -one, um, people felt isolated. They felt like their concerns weren't as widespread as it was, and it was an Ontario-wide problem at the time. So we couldn't immediately organize a massive action like that. So what we did instead is we released kind of a list of demands to social media based off of our consultations on what would it take to have us be safe for in-person learning? What would it take to have quality pandemic education? And the response was immediate. Like our Twitter account went from 30 followers to over a thousand in a day. And from that, we, we gathered a bunch of students on board from all across Ontario, from Windsor, from Niagara region, all over. And we started to run a petition with um, kind of our demands to the provincial government. And then with the signatories on our petition, we sent a letter to the Minister of Education, basically detailing our concerns of why we're concerned about transmission in schools and also explaining our demands. And once we sent the letter, we went without a response for a while. So we organized an email zap and again, no response. And <laughs> yeah, that, those were the sort of actions. And then it led up to our walkout. <laughs> And now, of course, the province has lifted mask mandates in schools, elsewhere too, but in schools. How did you respond to this news? So it felt like that, that just came out of nowhere. Like it, it, it wasn't something that had the best interest of students in our community safety in mind. So we were already in talks with the Manitoba students to organize some sort of joint action. But that kind of really pushed us that, OK, we're doing a walkout March 21st on the day we're returning from March break. And we kind of drafted the demands for the walkout, you know, to keep the mask mandate, to provide PCR testing to students and staff, to report on COVID-19 cases, to see these are consistent things we've been asking for since the beginning. And as part of the push to this forced normalcy that came with the lifting of the mask mandate, they were making this really dumb decision to 
continue with uh, standardized testing this year. So after a year of complete learning disruptions at a time where students are so stressed out and their mental health is so poor, they are making this choice to divert resources and funding and instructional days, precious instructional days, to doing standardized testing at this time, something that will be so stressful to students. I remember when I did EQA in grade six, it was the most stressful point of my young life. So we were calling for the cancellation of those standardized tests this year. Um, essentially, it was a walkout against to hold the government accountable to say, no, don't force this normalcy when we're not ready. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Wanting to make things look normal when in actuality they're not. You know, if it's winter outside, if it's snowing and I put on shorts and a tank top and I step outside, that doesn't change the weather. You know, in a similar way, if, if the virus is still spreading, if we're still seeing wastewater indicators trend up, me removing my mask does not change that. So this idea that they seem to want to make things look normal in accordance to whatever is convenient to them, um, rather than considering the fact of keeping actual safety, keeping actual consistency and stability in schools. Just just lastly here, Sophia, I guess if I could just get you to kind of reflect on this a little bit, how does it make you feel when adults around you are, are making decisions that are impacting you and your friends and, and the quality of your education? Well, there's a lot of talk in education about, quote, student voice. And, you know, we do have student trustees, but they're from you know, in, in an advocacy work, I've consulted with them, but they're very limited in what they can do due to their position, right? So there's a lot of talk about having, giving students a seat at the table, but then when we present genuine concerns, when we present our perspective, what's really harming our mental health? What are our concerns about transmission? What measures are we comfortable with having in schools? What measures do we not mind at all having in schools? It seems like a lot of that is ignored and we're talked over, and a lot of people make assumptions on our behalf about what hurts us the most and what benefits us the most. So it kind of feels hurtful. It feels belittling. It's kind of ageist in a lot of ways to assume that students can advocate for themselves. Sophia Alexanian is the co-founder of Ontario Students for COVID Safety. Next up, The Globe's education reporter, Caroline Alfonso on how Sophia's story ties into the bigger national picture. Caroline, it's so good to talk to you. Hi, Manika. It's nice to be here. So you've been reporting on masking in schools for a while now. It feels like everyone's talking about this mask mandate in school these days, not not just students. It's kind of really something that everyone in the broader community is focused on. Why is there so much attention specifically to the mask mandate in schools? I feel like we have been talking about the debate around masks since the beginning of the pandemic. I just I joke with my editor sometimes that I am the part-time education reporter and the part-time masks and schools reporter. Um, <laughs> but it's, that, it's, it's that big of a thing. Wow. There are there have been so many stories. And, you know, right at the beginning of this pandemic, um, in the first few months, there was a debate among health professionals, among pediatric hospitals, about the use of masks among uh, the younger age cohorts. And that was primarily because, you know, kids touch their faces all the time or whether 
uh, it impedes their learning in the sense that, you know, uh, it impedes communication between teacher and student. They can't see their facial expressions. What we know from the evidence, and Public Health Ontario put out an evidence study recently that shows that masks do help reduce COVID transmission in schools. But what is harder to determine from this evidence study is masks are part of a basket of health and safety measures that schools use, whether it's cohorting students, whether it's improving ventilation, whether it's, you know, distancing. So even though the evidence shows that masks reduce transmission, we don't fully know how much it contributes to reducing transmission. One of the things you mentioned there, the argument um, against masks in schools is that it affects kids learning, especially younger kids. Mm-hmm. Does it affect learning in that way? So again, that's, that evidence study from Public Health Ontario said that it does not negatively impact learning among younger kids, that masks really don't impact that. Anecdotally, I've heard from parents and I've heard from teachers that especially in the younger grades, kids need to see the facial expressions in order to learn from their educators. And some have said that they have found that mass does impact that. The evidence is showing the exact opposite, that there's no negative effect, but anecdotally, I'm hearing differently. So now masking is an individual choice in, in many schools across the country, most schools across the country, most provinces have, have now gotten rid of this mask mandate in schools. What impact is this now having on the dynamic in classrooms? How's, how's this playing out? I think for a number of families, a number of students, it's a bit confusing right now. I'm even using my own personal experience. My kids are wearing masks in schools, but I do know of teachers and other students that are not. And so you have a really sort of not divided classroom. It's not divided. People are being, you know, they are respecting choices, but I think you have a really mixed bag of what's happening. We have, for example, the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board just west of Toronto in southwestern Ontario that decided that they would continue mandating masks for two weeks post-March break. The province said they are not legally entitled to do so, but the Board of Trustees had a motion and decided that they wanted to go ahead with it. And if people wanted to remove their masks, they could apply for an exemption. If these school boards are saying they want to keep mask mandates, it makes people feel safer, it's, it's better for them, why would the province deny that? That's a good question. I think it's because it's a provincial order. Uh, The mask mandate is removed in other parts of the community and the province is responsible for schools. We have seen other provinces remove their mask mandates in schools. Ontario is one of the last to do so. People want to move forward. And I get that. I get people wanting to move forward. I don't think that COVID has left us yet. So, but it is a matter of the province wanting to move forward. They feel that this is the juncture where the mask can be removed. So, yeah. So just to spell this out, I mean, the real fear here is if masks are removed, eventually this may lead to back to online learning. Is that fair to say? There is a concern about that, that if cases rise, that classrooms could be pushed back into online learning. But keep in mind that the rules have changed. Now, if you test positive for COVID, you have to isolate, but your family 
and the classroom doesn't. But there is this concern that what happens if you have a large number of students who test positive for COVID? Does that classroom move into an online learning environment for a period of time? That is sort of the thing that sticks at the back of everybody's head, right? Like we do not want to go back to that period where kids were going back and forth between online and in person. Okay, so we have most schools in Canada that now no longer have masking requirements. Uh, testing and tracing has, has also been scaled back. So with these tools gone, what tools are left in schools to help minimize the spread of COVID-19? Vaccination. Um, vaccination is one. There are several provinces that have put money into ventilation upgrades and HEPA filters Those are the big ones that continue to be in place in schools. Vaccination rate amongst kids in Canada is is not super high right now. I think it's about 40 percent of kids 5 to 11 are fully vaccinated across the country. So is that not worrisome to school boards? If if that is a a huge tool that we're using to keep kids safe in school, isn't that that number a concern? It is to school boards, and that is why a number of school boards, including the Toronto District School Board, requested the province extend the mask mandate by a couple of weeks, not only because of the March break travels, but also it would give families an opportunity to have their children vaccinated, those who weren't. Let's talk about these ventilation upgrades, though, because there's been uh, a lot of focus on that, but this takes a lot of time and a lot of money have we seen adequate ventilation upgrades across the board? Is, is this something that we can actually point to? There have been upgrades, don't get me wrong. And then there are HEPA filters in classrooms where, you know, the mechanical ventilation cannot be upgraded in time. And, you know, if you drive by a number of schools, you'll see all their windows open, which is not something that you saw in previous years. Whether it is enough is a matter of debate. And some of these upgrades will take long. Specifically in Ontario, politicians are, are citing mental health of students uh, and a need for a normalcy in classrooms, again, as kind of reasons why these mask mandates are, are being removed. Are those both concerns that you've heard? Like, do those reasons, do those reasons check out? I don't think masks impact mental health. And I don't think masks impact learning gaps. What impacts mental health and learning gaps is well, a pandemic, and also a disruption to their learning. So it's not so much what they're wearing on their face as much as they are being pulled back and forth between online learning and in-person learning. So really the idea of if we could keep kids in school and, and minimize the online learning, from what you're hearing, that's actually a bigger issue then. That is a huge issue. I mean, kids need to be in school. They need to be in school for not only their learning, but socialization and their their physical health. Help me understand this then. So school boards are saying they wanted this mandate pushed back a couple of weeks. A lot of students are saying that they'd feel comfortable with that too. Why push to remove masks at, at that point in time then when, when people are saying we're not necessarily comfortable with this? That's a really good question. And I wish I had the answer to that because Dr. Moore said it was time and the premier followed his advice. Dr. Kieran Moore is the Ontario chief medical officer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The push, there's an election coming up in June. Masks have been removed in the community and other provinces were doing it. 
So I think, you know, the province went in that direction. Caroline, thank you so much for speaking with us and helping us understand this. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Rose Danen produced this episode. Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland are our producers. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.